Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Hello and welcome to Mind Gym's final results for the year FY22. Change at the speed of life is what we promise our clients and the people who work for them. And we are today going to take you through that journey, what we're hoping to achieve and how we're getting there. My name is Octavius Black. I'm the CEO and co-founder of MindGym, and I'm delighted to introduce Dom Neary, our new Chief Financial Officer. Thank you very much, Octavius. Um, firstly, I'd like to thank the people at MindGym for their warm welcome uh, since I joined at the end of last year. Uh, clearly, as a CFO, it's great to join a business with strong controls and a great balance sheet. Um, however, it's the energy of the people at MindGym that really stands out. And for me, the combination of this with an exciting digital pipeline makes this a unique opportunity. And I'm really looking forward to working with Octavius and the team, uh, bringing my experience in uh, digital from Money Supermarket and Just Eat, and my history at Reckitt Bankiza uh, in the States as we deliver our strategy over the coming years. Um, back to you, Octavius. Thank you, Dom. Our agenda today, we thought we'd begin by reminding us all of the colossal opportunity, the reason why we are so committed to Mind Gym and why so many of our investors see us as a colossal, long-term, vast opportunity. We're then going to go more near-term to look at the highlights of the year that's just passed, and then medium-term, look at our strategy, our three-pronged approach, and what we're planning to deliver in the year ahead. And we'll finish with some outlook thoughts for FY23. So turning first of all to the opportunity. Why MindGym has the chance to become a real market disruptor in what is, in fact, a very large industry. Simply, the market for learning development is $350 billion. That's bigger than the GDP of New Zealand. And then there are other adjacent markets, such as employee sentiment and human capital management systems and so on and so forth, that make that opportunity even larger. It's growing, it's profitable, and there isn't a single player with more than 0.1% of the market probably actually not more than 0.1%. So there's an opportunity here to reshape the market in a new way and realize a very, very significant opportunity. And this is how we can do it. The market at the moment is a diaspora. There are millions of providers, literally probably across the world. There are certainly more L&D and HR consultancies in the UK than there are hairdressers. And they are bought piecemeal by organizations who have a number of initiatives, be it managed development, personal effectiveness, change management. And then for each of those, there could be half a dozen, a dozen, or even 50 different providers adding something or other to the mix. And then each of those elements has got often a different sponsor within the client organization or sponsors by region, by function, and so forth. And therefore, there's an awful lot of activity that's taking place. But what it lacks is coherence. This means that if you're on the receiving end, you don't quite know what you should be doing. And your effort is made, your cognitive effort is made trying to make sense of what's going on rather than actually deciding what to do differently. You also have significant waste. You've got duplication, courageous conversations designed four times for four slightly different needs, ethics, performance management, customer management, and so on and so forth. And you have different models, a coaching model here, maybe different from a coaching model there or somewhere else. And most of all, you have no consistent data. You don't know what is actually working and what results you're getting from it. And you have no data about individuals in order to be able to customize and give them personalized journeys. So it's kind of a one size fits everybody, which basically means one size fits no one at all. 
As a result, vast investment is spent, but the total is a lot less than the sum of the parts. And we know this because we know that with $29 billion a year spent on unconscious bias training and other diversity and inclusion training, we're actually seeing more polarization and less improvements in many areas of diversity than there were before. We know that in leadership training, which goes up year after year after year, the corollary is that confidence in senior leaders has gone down year after year after year. And so that doesn't seem to be delivering a great return either. So we can see from the macro trends that a lot of money is being spent in this area with very questionable returns. But companies don't know what to do within their organizations in order to invest less and get more. That is until now. Our vision for the future is very clear, and there's one word to describe it and summarize it, and that is integrate. The first thing to integrate is the different content areas. So you're getting a single source of insight that feeds through, for example, well-being and inclusion, which we know are closely correlated. If I feel included, my well-being improves and vice versa. I'm more likely to feel well-being when I feel a strong sense of belonging. But this also then feeds into personal effectiveness. When I have a strong sense of agency that I might get from feeling good about myself and included, I'm more likely to be effective, and so on and so forth through all these areas. So you would have a, a single thread running through with content that feeds from one to the next. That increases coherence and therefore gets put a focus on doing things differently rather than trying to understand all the mixed messages that might be going on. But it's not just integration of content. It's also integration of delivery. So you want the live one-to-many, live one-to-few, live one-to-one, and the self-directed learning all to be integrated so one feeds off the other and informs the other. And you want the digital and the virtual and the in-person all to be integrated. So as a user, as a person on the receiving end, it all feels like one seamless experience rather than a staccato stop-start at each stage. And then the real value you get from this unified approach is data. So you get consistent data across your audience that helps you understand how you can mass customize. So how knowing that Azeem, who works in R&D in the Philippines, has just started as a manager and has a preference for introversion, will most benefit from this video or this questionnaire or this course. Because you know that of the millions of people on the platform, the 5,000, quite like Azeem, tended to benefit from this kind of experience. So you can really target your investment towards an individual. At the same time, the organization can see where its investments are paying off and that the new manager program in the Philippines is less effective than the one in North Carolina or the one in Paraguay. And why is that? Well, because the first 100 days program starts six weeks later, and therefore maybe if you brought it earlier, you get the same impact. So what you'll find is that rather than completely reinventing and creating new resources that don't fit together, organizations will be having one suite of resources which they're constantly reconfiguring based on data and evidence. And so when they're currently spending, let us say, 150 million on what's happening on the left and not sure what results they're getting from it, they will very happily, we believe, switch to spending much less, say 100 million on the right, but going to one provider who can provide that consistent ecosystem. And certainly when we share the picture on the right with clients, they say, that's exactly what we want. How quickly can you deliver it? So that is our vision. That is the opportunity, and that is what we are reaching towards. On that, let me hand over to the near term and to Dom to talk about how we have performed in the last year. Thank you very much, Octavius. Um, So uh, in 2022, MindGym has delivered robust revenue growth of 24%. We've seen double-digit growth in both regions, in the US 
and in EMEA. And we've surpassed our pre-COVID sales of FY20 by 5% in constant currency. Importantly, digitally enabled revenues have grown at 23%. We see an LBT of half a million. That's in line with our expectations and includes half a million of non-recurring costs, which enabled a cost control project in Q4. The improvement in EPS, you can see, includes a 2.1 million R&D tax credit, which is primarily 21 and 22, with a small amount from 2020 in it as well. Cash conversion in prior year is actually the notable point in cash conversion, because prior year included two key FY21 one-offs, which was a more than doubling in deferred income, which remains today at the same level, and some COVID salary deferrals that were deferred into FY22. And finally, we retain our strong financial position. Cash of 10 million is down on FY21 as expected, which reflects the investment in our digital products. And we'll come back to that later. So as we move into revenue growth, MindGym's revenue growth is with the blue chip companies across the world. Despite the ongoing impact of COVID, we've seen double digit growth in both EMEA and the US. The US growth there is slightly flattered by one particular client where we were delivering some EMEA generated sales that were actually delivered in the US. But nevertheless, the US represents 59% of our revenues now, and this provides a, a hedge against a weakened sterling. We work with around 56% and 62% of the FTSE and S&P 100s. And our largest customer is less than 6% of our total business. And coming on to digitally enabled revenues, as you can see, COVID dramatically shifted our business from in-person to virtual digitally enabled revenues. We anticipate robust growth supported by our new digital products, which we'll come to in the strategy section. We do anticipate some shift back towards in-person delivery as co companies come out of COVID. And this will reduce our gross margin percentage, but gross profit per delivery is actually higher for in-person. So there's no gross profit or financial risk there. And then moving on, We've previously explained that FY22 was a year of investment, which would create an organization that could substantially increase revenue levels. Now, this chart shows uh, that investment against the clearest comparator, which is FY20 or pre-COVID levels. However, most of the step change in that investment, something like 85% of it, took place in FY22. So if we move to the chart, on the left-hand side, you can see two years of growth, inflation, and a one-off investment in commission levels in COVID. But the rest of that are those key investments that I've been talking about. So there's a 1.3 million investment in innovation, and you can see the benefit of that with two POVs launching this year, and we'll come back to that. But the return from that is quite clear. We've got nearly a million, just 900,000 in marketing, uh, which is supporting this innovation and it's allowing us to communicate better with our clients. There's 2 million which supports uh, the new digital products. That's in content, that's in infrastructure systems and so on. And then we've got a million building out our US region, which is supporting that increased growth that you've seen. 
And finally, of course, there's talent acquisition and people investments. And this is supporting the investments that I've talked you through here, but it's also supporting the digital product CapEx that we will come to when we talk about the new digital products in the strategy section. And of course, MindGym continues to be efficient and effective in how we spend our money. And to this end, uh, we implemented a cost control program in Q4, which ensures that there is no annualized increase from these investments. And we continue to target efficiencies, of course, as we head into the new year. And moving on to the cash flow, our financial position remains strong. So we have 10 million in cash and a further 10 million facility, which we set up during the year. This remains untapped at this point. The 6.8 million reduction in cash really includes three items of note. Firstly, working capital is slightly adverse, um, and there are two aspects going on there. The main one is the adverse impact of the repayment of COVID salary deferrals from FY21, uh, but that is partially offset by a continued improvement from uh, aged debtors, which are down about 300,000. So continued improvement in receivables. Of course, the key movement there is the 5.6 million impact of our digital investments, which we will return to later. And finally, as I mentioned earlier, deferred income remains at the same level as at the beginning of the year. So that is something that increased significantly in FY21. And of course, it's possible it could reduce again in FY23, but we haven't seen any movement in that this year. And as I mentioned at the start, MindGM has a really exciting digital pipeline. However, for me, our unique position is that when you combine this with our existing business, the whole is truly greater than the sum of the parts. And we've got that 21-year legacy that means that now we have a strong financial position. We've got the ability to acquire digital customers at a lower cost than our competition because of our history with our clients. And from the digital products, you get that halo impact as clients during recessions are looking for efficiencies uh, and they can get that through the opportunity that Octavius talked to uh, earlier. And this is gonna help us in FY23 as we look to robust growth and a return to profitability. Um, Octavius, over to you. Our MindGym model has remained largely consistent since we started, with two key strands to drive growth. The first is market-leading IP. This is about having unique behavioral science evidence-based points of view on the universal human capital challenges, be that performance, leadership, ethics, inclusion, and so on and so forth. And then a library of bite-sized products, which are the live workshops, so over 200 of those and digital assets that support them, uh, and tested on over 3 million professionals who have been through the programs and over 90% of whom go away to recommend them and commit to act as a result. And we've set up an ability to deliver these consistently at scale. We have over 400 coaches in 40 countries who are able to run virtual and live programs whenever they are required. So that's a fantastic core capability, which we keep adding to, and I'll come to a bit more how we add to that in a moment. Uh, the second thing, of course, is vital, is delighting clients. And we're absolutely thrilled that the repeat purchase level of our clients remains in the mid to high 80s. It has been pretty much every year for uh, some time now. So we bring in new clients each year. They tend to be quite small clients to start with. They tend to love what we're doing and tend to buy more and then keep buying and keep staying with us. So these are two strands of the MindGen model, which we've absolutely had since the beginning and are committed to maintain. 
But there's a third one that we talked about and we shared with you as our investors and potential investors two years ago, which is our investment in digital. To in order to deliver personalized learning, that the hyper mass customization that I talked about earlier, uh, and integrating mind you, live uh, and virtual activity uh, on a digital platform that then provides the data that allows us to give the right products to the right people in the right way at the right time. And this year has seen great progress in all three of these, but I'm particularly going to touch a little bit on the first and significantly more given how new it is on the digital transformation. So firstly, on the market-leading IP, we have produced research papers on pretty much all the universal human capital challenges, uh, bar two, which we're absolutely thrilled that we are publishing this year. And it's the first year we've ever published uh, two in the same year. And it's in large part thanks to the increased investment in innovation that Dom talked about earlier. The first is on leadership development. We've had a long history of management development and helping managers succeed. We've now got a new research paper supported by new products on leadership. This helps us uh, access a slightly more senior group in an organization and also gives clients the confidence that we can support uh, leadership and management from the very beginning, first line supervisor, right through to executive director. So that's a, a great new research paper, already tested with a number of clients and already fine with one work off the back of it. The second area, which is also a new market to us, but also quite a new market to our clients as well, is well-being. Uh, and increasingly, employees are saying, what are you doing to look after my well-being? And in particular, as a consequence of the pandemic and the experiences this has had, organizations are taking on well-being as not just a benefit to provide or a health insurance hedge, but actually a core part of the employee value proposition. The market's currently valued at 50 billion and forecast to grow to 100 billion by 2030. And we've again launched a new well-being point of view that challenges many of the assumptions of, of just giving people meditation classes or fresh fruit and how little impact this has, but actually what really makes a difference, how we can increase certainty at work or capability or increase the sense of belonging. So we're thrilled about these new research reports. The leadership point of view comes out in H1, formally published shortly, and wellbeing will come out formally in H2. But as I say, we're already sharing them with clients and we're already winning work off the back of them. So market-leading IP continues to be absolutely at the core of what we do, and we continue to be, to be leading the market in thinking about these universal challenges. But more exciting than this, if I could possibly say anything is more exciting, is the delivery on our digital strategy. And we came to you two years ago and said we have a digital strategy and we have some uh, products that we're keen to launch. And we have now launched the first one. And the first one is Performer. Performer is a one-to-one -one coaching offer supported by a digital platform. Now, this is a really exciting market. There's 20 billion a year spent on the coaching but most of it was traditionally spent on face-to-face, -face executive, quite expensive coaching. And in the last couple of years, a new market has emerged, which is a democratization of coaching. The idea that you can provide coaching in uh, short, sharp sessions, uh, but supported by a platform that allows people to find their coach, book their coach, prepare for the session, follow up, and so forth. About a billion dollars has been invested in this market across roughly 10 organizations, the largest of whom has invested $600 million. Um, this is a, and they clearly see the opportunity for a vast market opportunity here. What we wanted to do is to share with you the contrast between performer and the current market leader. 
So first of all, we're thrilled that we didn't spend $600 million, and I'm sure you're thrilled about this as well, but actually £3 million has been spent until launch, uh, which is just a fraction of what the others have had to spend in order to get up to speed. And one of the factors that we've got that none of them have, despite this lower investment, is actually a proprietary coaching methodology. Now, this is important because much coaching is a placebo effect rather than actually having any impact on performance. And what we've done, our team of psychologists, is a research what makes coaching successful. And we've codified that in precision coaching to develop our own proprietary method, which means the third point is we can quality assure our coaches. All of them are trained and certified in precision coaching. And precision coaching to the fourth line also creates much greater focus and timeliness. So in four times 45-minute sessions, we can make significant progress in performance. Indeed, in the trials, over a third of those people who went through Performer got unsolicited feedback from colleagues about how their performance had changed and improved. Whereas most coaching platforms and models go with the flow of the coachee. What do they want? What do you want to come to next? It's not terribly directed. It's fairly episodic. So we're really excited about this methodology, uh, which differentiates us in the market. But we're also really excited that where others have one-to-one coaching as a standalone, so in effect, the the answer is one-to-one coaching, what's your problem? We have it as part of an integrated solution. And therefore, whether you're trying to address inclusion or leadership or well-being, we've got a portfolio of answers, which include live workshops and virtual workshops, include digital assets, and also now include one-to-one performer coaching. So we had a, a new organization came to us for leadership development and was going to one of the other uh, 10 for their one-to-one coaching and was about to sign a contract and then thought, well, hang on, why would I have two different providers for this? You're doing the leadership development. Clearly, we should be using you for the one-to-one coaching as well. And so they pulled out of the other relationship and invested and acquired performer. So the content of what we do, the precision coaching, the methodology, and the consistency of quality, the fact it integrates, all of which give us significant advantage in this new and fast-growing market. And then, of course, on top of all of that, we've already got the existing relationships with most of the FTSE 100, most of the S&P 100, who are big reusers of MindGym. And therefore, in effect, our customer acquisition cost could be a fraction of those others that are coming from to this from a standing start. So we're absolutely thrilled by performance. We think it has enormous potential. Uh, we've had uh, 500,000 pounds of annualized revenue already in the first 12 weeks of launch. Uh, and we hope, obviously, to build on that significantly. And you'll see a, a, one of many quotes from, from happy chief people officers and executives in the top right-hand corner who found the experience to be um, not only really strong, but far better than they were expecting. So we're thrilled about Performer, and Performer is the first step in our digital roadmap beyond the e-workouts that we developed many years ago and still account for early double figures percentage of revenue. The next stage, and this is what we're thrilled about in FY23, is the um, development of our diagnostics. I've talked a lot about data and the importance they hold, and diagnostics is going to be a significant part of what we will be delivering later on this year. These that work on two levels, personal individual diagnostics to help me understand what I can do better and where to focus my energies, but also organizational diagnostics like climate surveys that help me see the, the heat map of where inclusion or well-being or leadership is stronger or where and how it needs to have more investment. And this then allows us to get slightly earlier in the buying cycle. So up until now, other organizations provide the diagnostics that we've been brought in to help deliver the solution. But actually, this allows us to do the whole journey from identifying the problems and getting data around it to then delivering the solution and to then measuring the impact. 
And to help accelerate our development in diagnostics, we're really thrilled that we've made a, an investment this year. We acquired a business or the assets of a business called 10X. This was developed by Peter Saville, who's actually the sort of godfather of the assessment and diagnostics uh, business. He created Savile and Holdsworth and then Savile ass Assessments, both of which were sold independently for hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and he built this new, fantastically rigorous diagnostic, which is more thorough than any other in the market. And he did a, a comparator to, to assess this. Uh, very sadly, he, he passed away after building this business for over five years and, and investing over 10 million pounds in it and and it went into administration and therefore we were able to buy the assets for a hundred thousand pounds uh, saving us not only many millions but many years of development so we are thrilled about this we're working on it now and we'll be uh, developing it and uh, introducing it to our clients and integrating it into the third aspect of our great uh, digital plan which is the behavioral change platform this is really thrilling. This will bring everything together, the performer, the diagnostics, the uh, live workshops, uh, the e-workouts, everything else in one place where you have multimodal learning, where people can go and have, if you like, their Mind Gym membership that takes them from one place to the next and keeps a track on what they're learning, how they're progressing, and helps address their challenges as they have them. Is also how we deliver on the vision that I shared at the beginning, the one integrated platform that allows organizations to address all their HCM challenges in one place, providing consistent content. Clearly, it'll work and adapt and shape to bring in other bits of content from outside MindGym as and when that's appropriate, and we'll talk to other systems. But the core of it will provide that really solid base that enables people to change their behavior and to transform culture. And from an investor's point of view, it will be a, a clear SaaS revenue stream. So that's all part of the plan. And this is the schedule that we're working to in order to get the return on the digital investment that we talked about. So very briefly, in summary, uh, where are we at? Well, we're looking at robust top-line growth in FY23. It'll be skewed to the second half as we deal with the headwinds of COVID and other challenges in the first half. But we're confident about that. We're confident about a return to profitability as we leverage our investments. We're going to start to realize the returns on our digital investment with Performer. And we're going to also access new budgets with our new points of view in leadership and well-being. So we enter this year in a very different place from last year, really excited about the opportunity, uh, but also excited about the investments that we've made coming good and really making an impact for our clients and for our business. Thank you very much for your time. And over now to questions and answers. Thank you, Octavius. And we have a question from David Collins from Howway Investments. On Performer, what level within the organization, C-suite or below, have the first participants in performance been at? And are companies testing smaller samples of employees with a view to increasing to a wider group? Uh, fantastic questions. The broad audience that the performers targeted at and where clients have been using it is C minus one, C suite minus one, C suite minus two, and particular groups of people, high potential women in leadership, where they see that the, uh, it's worthwhile making a significant investment to accelerate performance. Uh, um, what we are absolutely seeing is clients buying it for one selection of groups, seeing that really helpful and then increasing by doubling or trebling the number of licenses they have by extending it to other groups. So in one sense, yes, they were seeing them trial it. 
Uh, and some clients are buying it as a standalone, like they are the buying the others. They're saying, oh, gosh, what's the comparison? Maybe we should try perform and go, oh, gosh, this is actually rather better than we thought and better than the others and we'd like to go with that. However, the main opportunity is coming as an integrated solution on challenges like, for example, leadership. And when that happens, clients are much more inclined to take it and say, we've got a 300, 500 people going to this leadership program. We've got the workouts and the workout pros and the go larges. And we're very excited about that from core mind gym. We also are very excited to add in performer uh, and buy those for, for the people who are going to the program. So it becomes one integrated program. So yes, we're seeing people pilot it, trial it for one segment and then go to others. And also we're seeing people buy it as part of the holistic solution. Thank you. And another question from David. How reasonable is 5% of MindGym annual participants as a target market for performer? Um, we think it is absolutely reasonable, if given that the level of people who come to MindGym often is C-1, C-2, um, that if we could transfer that group across, that is a, a realistic objective to go after. Um, but it may be that we actually get to new audiences and they aren't mind gym participants and we get them to other places. But we think uh, 5% is, is definitely where we would like to get to. Not necessarily this coming year. We appreciate it. Like it may take a little longer to get there than that. But that seems a, a perfectly reasonable, accessible market, addressable market. Thank you. And we'll go to Celia Duncan from Metis. Hi, yes. Hi, um, Octavius. Um, Hi, well? Celia. Good to see you. <laughs> and you? Well, don't you all see me, but um, the question I had was on the, the whole one-to-one -one coaching and I'm thinking back to the last results when you talked about you know I've had a I've had a session on on time management you know meeting you know running meetings something like that and then you were talking about having a nudge 15% 15 minutes before a meeting um, to go through some of the things that I've done through the coaching course um, as a as a client how how do you integrate with the client's own IT systems you know they've all got their software that's dealing with uh, diaries etc yeah I, I'm struggling to sort of envisage how your coaching and this sort of integration into the company who are your clients how that actually works in practice because they've all got different systems that's quite complicated it is a fantastic question, and you're absolutely right, it is quite complicated. I think there's um, some systems that will be easier to integrate with than others. So learning management systems that are systems of record, we can create APIs that talk to them and they talk back to the system. So that, that is, is doable. Then I think the question is whether people are happy to, for example, link to Outlook uh, as a diary management and whether you can, uh, people will be willing to uh, open up their Outlook to, for it to talk to the MindGym application or not. And that will be partly an organization's decision and partly an individual's. Uh, technologically, it's actually very doable. It's much more about data management and privacy settings and security and confidence about that. that we'll, we, and that we're still to work through. Thank you. Um, and, and just to say, the, the, you're absolutely right. We're very excited about the idea of nudges before and after uh, events and coaching sessions. And that will be, part, that'll be a core part of the platform. So what's really exciting about what the challenges with platforms is getting people to use them. But if you've already got people coming to a live event, then you, you almost have to use the platform to sign up for it and prepare for the live event. And therefore, you're much more naturally going to get the access to the insights before and after that will then lead to your, lead to your transfer. 
And then your point, which is absolutely right, about how much it's integrated with wearables or um, Outlook or other company systems is something we'll need to work through. And I suspect will happen to a degree on a case-by-case basis. But as individuals see the benefit of it, they'll choose to sign up. And as companies get more data from it, they'll choose to increasingly let it happen. So it's not really a, a technological challenge. It's a data privacy, attitude, comfort challenge. That's exactly right. I remember years ago, and this shows my age, working one of the big banks, the chief um, technology officer, and he said, uh, we're not sure we're going to turn on email because we're really worried people will use it for personal benefit during the working day and we think it will take them away from their work. Now, obviously, if you look back on that, that's clearly the most absurd view anyone ever had and, and didn't last for very long. Uh, and we think that as people start to see the benefit of integrating uh, the technologies, they will actually let it happen uh, enthusiastically. But there's for sure going to be a, a slight barrier at the beginning in order to, to turn that on. Okay, thank you. Um, we'll go to Kieran Donnelly from Liberum. Perfect, thank you. Um, thanks for taking my questions. Two from me, if you will. Um, what are the metrics you look at in terms of, I guess, customer acquisition costs and, and how does it differ by geography? And I guess, secondly, kind of uh, connected to that, how do you use data to allocate capital to address what you think are the most relevant kind of client sales opportunities? I'll, I'll talk about customer acquisition and then maybe for the second question, Don, pass over to you. Um, I think the first question is, um, is how do we look at customer acquisition costs by region? Is that the, the question, Kieran? Yeah. Yep. Uh, firstly, in EMEA, EMEA is predominantly UK with a little bit of Northern Europe. And predominantly in the UK, we are reasonably known in the HR community. So what we're looking at in terms of customer acquisition costs is usually cross-selling uh, to existing clients or clients who've moved from one organization to another, building a relationship with them or continuing that relationship as they move across. So our significant costs are really the field sales team. Uh, and the work they put into building those relationships and converting relationships into business. We do have a, a, a nascent marketing function, which is growing, and we do run a series of marketing events, and we look at those costs and what they do in terms of uh, converting into revenue. Um, but in the main, the, the cost of the field sales team and that we have very clear ratios and, and metrics about and speed to value and so on and so forth. Uh, in the US, where we're a little less well-known, it's still broadly the same model, but I think we'll need to be doing more and are doing more in order to generate uh, brand awareness, uh, and therefore our marketing initiatives are likely to increase there. Um, but in terms of customer acquisition, we're looking at similar sorts of metrics at the moment. Dom, do you want to talk about the where we invest and how we make decisions about capital? Yeah, of course. Um, I think like any business, uh, the starting place for this is going to be the cyclical planning process. Uh, for us, that's primarily an annual process, but of course, we review it on a quarterly basis. Um, and yes, it, it's talking, it's using a lot of the metrics that Octavius has talked about. Um, so primarily, uh, we, we have a, an overview of the clients uh, in each of our countries. We understand the opportunities of those clients by looking at the potential revenue, by doing analysis of that. Um, and then we look at a regional basis. Uh, obviously, we've got our pipeline of opportunities. And in terms of allocating capital, that's primarily about uh, getting the right resources in the right place. Um, so for example, you know, there's, there's clearly there's more opportunity in the United States. That's why we've invested uh, more over FY22 in building up 
our capabilities there and you can see the return from that coming through. Uh, does that cover the question? Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks both. Thank you very much. And we've got another question from David Collins at Huawei Investments. What happens after the first four coaching sessions on Performer from an individual's perspective? Is that it or does the coaching continue? Uh, it's a great question. The coaching absolutely continues. And the, um, the you have two options at the end of your four sessions. The, the, the precision coaching, what makes coaching most effective is having the right size goal at the beginning and immersing yourself in what a good enough solution would look like. So solutions-based therapy is where it comes from when we use solutions-based coaching. So your first session is saying, what, what am I trying to achieve? I want my team to be motivated or performing. Well, is that too big a goal? Is that right size goal? And what would it look like if I was delivering against that goal? And then I have the four sessions uh, to address that goal and to make significant progress against that. At the end of those four, I can say, actually, I want a fifth session or a sixth session because I don't feel I've quite got there and I would like to, to keep going further. And that's absolutely fine. You can do that. Or you can start the cycle again on a new goal. You know, I feel I need to build a better relationship with risk or with um, finance, or I need to be able to be more strategic in my relationships with clients. And then you work on your four sessions to address that goal. And then you continue on a new goal and you keep going. So the cycle continues uh, for as long as you like, or as long as indeed the, the license with performer continues. And you, and you can go around the cycle as many times as you like. But what we've found is that um, people think that coaching improves their performance on average by 78%. But in reality, the performance improvement is on average 3.6%, which is just a massive difference. But largely, there's a, there's a big standard deviation here. So what we've found is the ones that are more effective, the methodologies, focus on right-sizing the goal, on immersing in the, in the solution. And there's something called mastery, which is basically because we quite like winning. So we get a good result and get good at something first before we move on to the next thing. And most coaching tends to be quite episodic and relationship-based. I like you, I'll tell you what's on my mind now, we'll have a chat about it, then I'll move on to the next thing, and then next week I'll come with, or month or whatever, with something else completely different that it happens to be the recency thing that I've had, and with no follow-up to check on progress and what happened, or limited in the time before. Also, most coaching is actually integrated with business objectives and doesn't set clear objectives at the outset, uh, which are just clear misses. So what we've done is built into the precision coaching methodology all the things that really lead to performance improvement. And you can go around that cycle of four by 45 as often as you like. Uh, and if you want to go more than four on a particular subtopic, then of course you can do that as well. Thank you. And we have a question from Mayan from River Mercantile. How do you decipher between what is a cyclical or COVID-related sales growth headwind versus a structural headwind where the product's not resonating with clients in the way you expect? That's, that's a fantastically good question, Mayan. Um, and I think it is, uh, it's, it's quite hard to tell what's COVID-related and what's cyclical at the moment. Um, we're certainly seeing that there is a cyclicality in certain issues, uh, as you may have noticed on diversity and inclusion. Uh, after the murder of George Floyd, there was a massive uptick in attention to uh, diversity and inclusion, which followed actually a massive downturn. 29% of companies reduced their investment in DNI as COVID appeared and thought, oh, this is something we can actually cut. And then the, the, the murder of George Floyd changed that completely in the emergence of Black Lives Matters, and it came up enormously. Um, so we're certainly seeing a cyclicality in terms of what is a priority or not. We're seeing well-being very much as a growth area uh, at the moment, uh, which it wasn't a little while ago. Indeed, it may pass, um, so or it may become less significant in due course. So what we're constantly doing is being very attentive to what our clients are and aren't buying. 
where they seem to be investing and what seems to be working and we're adapting from that. But whether it's cyclical or COVID or some other factor, uh, I'm not sure we, we quite know what it is that's causing it, but perhaps it doesn't matter as much as knowing that these changes are taking place and we're very agile in our responses. Thank you. And another question from David Collins at Howey Investments. How many coaching participants are currently signed up with Better Up and other competitors as per your best estimate? Yeah, so obviously we unfortunately don't have a uh, clear line of sight to our competition's numbers. However, saying that, um, if you were to look at the market leader, uh, they uh, have explained that they have in excess of 100 million uh, dollars of annualized revenue. So at that level, you know, our expectation would be that would be around 40,000 uh, participants. But of course, we don't have the pricing, so we can't accurately talk to that. Thank you. And we have another question from Celia Duncan at Metis. Celia, go ahead. Hi, thanks. I thought I'd just jump in. Um, just looking at the the 6.6 million that you've you've um, sort of detailed in terms of growth OPEX and yeah. the 5.6 million of uh, intangible the development capex um what from where you're sitting now uh, what should we expect those to move to okay. this year in broad terms yeah so uh, let me start with the capex so the capex at 5.6 million um i think you know that's broadly the level that we're comfortable with uh it, it could move up and down a little bit but broadly speaking that's that's that is where it's at in terms of the opex the 6.6 million was a uh, as we've explained, was a uh, step change in investment to create an organisational structure that was capable of supporting significant revenue uh, uh, growth in the future. Um, so that's not going to unwind, uh, but we certainly wouldn't be looking um, to, to do that sort of thing uh, again. Clearly, costs will go up uh, as you see inflation, wage inflation, uh, but that was very much a step change. Thank you. And that's the end of questions. Octavius, do you have any closing remarks? Just to thank you all for taking part in this cause, absolute pleasure and joy, deliciously rich and, and, and provocative questions, which I massively appreciate. Uh, and we're very excited that some of you have come back uh, for more. Celia, lovely to see you again and others are joined for the first time and hope to see you again in future. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.